Oh, hi there. It's James. Um, just interrupting this broadcast to say, if you like the podcast, can you please go onto iTunes, subscribe to it, leave a review, say how much you like it, and maybe get in touch with us. <laughs> I want to tell you a little secret. It's about a wine delivery app for Londoners called Drop. They deliver wine and beer and crisps and all that caper to busy people. It's great. It's particularly great for parents who can't go out of the house because the baby's sleeping, but still want to get some sweet suave down the hatch before bedtime. And some crisps. And some charcuterie. Go to dropwine.co.uk, enter the promo code KITCHENONFIRE to receive £10 off your first order. Bye. Two hundred and five. Four. Two hundred and four episodes. What's going on, Sam? Um, not a lot. What'd you get up to over the weekend? <laughs> Daughter was home from uni. Yeah, but that's that's the wrong weekend, isn't it? Mate, no one's going to give a fuck. <laughs> How are they going to care? It doesn't matter. It's just Tom conversation. Okay. Uh, yeah. They're not going to be like some listener, the listener in Papua New Guinea. Yeah. Like, oh, that is cool that we've got a listener in Papua New Guinea, isn't it? Uh, and then somehow they discover that actually the most recent weekend wasn't when your daughter was home, when you're being dishonest. Well, I like to be honest in my life. Uh, yeah, it was nice. My daughter's back from university and, yeah, she's loving life there. Is she? She really is. She's, has she found a job? Uh, no, not yet. Bristol um, restaurateurs and bar folk. Yeah. Um, Sam's yeah. daughter is, is looking for work. So hit us up on... Uh, but also, she's you know she's studying criminology. So if you know if you're a private investigator or something or a murderer, um, yeah, because she needs to see both sides of the. Coin. Yeah, exactly. You could need a balanced opinion. I don't want any murderers. Do you think anyone who listens to this podcast is has murdered mur- anyone? Definitely. What are the odds? Probably well, there's, the odd- there's what is there ten thousand uh, listeners an episode out of one of those. I mean, what's the stats on murderers? One in twenty. I think it's st- steeper than that. Nonetheless, yeah, that's probably a bit dark and triggery for some people. Yeah, it probably is. Let's move on. Let's talk about. So she's enjoying it. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. She What's is. the sort of what, paint me a picture? Daughter's oh. home from uni. What is Sam Hurley putting on the table to make her feel? You know, like those lovely Tesco ads, like yeah, Mum's roast lamb. What's Sam's go-to? So she came back and Ab cooked her a couple of fish cakes. Just two? Yeah, she wanted two. I mean, two's more than she'd normally have, but, you know, university, maybe she's not eating enough. Uh, so, yeah, she put down a couple of fish cakes. That's all she had all weekend? Uh, no, not all weekend, but that's what she had then, and then on Saturday... But surely she's, she's, she's coming back and she's like, yeah, mum, mum's an all right cook, but it's dad's, dad's chow that I want. Yeah, yeah, so Sunday, we'll eat together on a Sunday, so she said she wanted a roast. So I roasted a chicken bird. Uh, Very dry, aren't they? Very dry birds. Not the way I put them down. Yeah, yeah. juicy. What's your tackers? Uh, you know, just cook it and then <laughs> uh, rest it for a really long time while you cook the roast potatoes and the Yorkshire puddings, which my wife made. With so it's beef just, dripping. So it's cold and dry by the time you're ready. It's perfectly warm, mate. No. Keep the temperature like they're like the outside of a space shuttle. Just That's don't ever cold. cool down. Outside the space shuttles are very cold. 
They get incredibly hot. When they're hanging out in space, they must be cold by then. Yeah, but when they land, they're toasty, aren't they, for ages. You don't just walk up and, like, pat the space shuttle on the nose. You probably do, though. It's like when the waiter says, or waitress, server says, plates are hot, you've got to check. Someone says, don't touch the space shuttle, it's very hot. You're like, I'll just pat it. Yeah, imagine that. Just Your hand would literally melt off. just stick to it. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. They get proper hot. How hot? Like 100 degrees? If you put an egg on it, it would just explode. (laughs) Just vaporise. You know, people say, oh, the pavements are so hot you could fry an egg on it. You're not doing that on the space shuttle. <laughs> Imagine that. Somebody's just pelting it with eggs from just a distance. Just to see. Just to see, yeah. Didn't Madonna do that on her belly? Fry an egg on yeah. her belly? I believe oh, she did. No, no, no. No, that no? was in um, Police Squad or Hot oh, Shots or something. <laughs> right. they have, it's like a really, you know, a sexy sex scene and they start with food and stuff and then he cracks an egg on her stomach and fries an egg and he's putting salt and pepper on it and stuff. Fair enough. That is funny. You ever, um, brought, ever brought food into the bedroom? Um, no, not really. As in, like, in a sexual way as opposed to, like, breakfast in bed? Oh, um... I don't think so. That's weird you've asked that question, actually. There's a question later for um, Steve, which is um, Stephen. Stevie. Uh, Stevie, sorry. <laughs> um, and you didn't get it right. Steve. Steve Paul. <laughs> That's weird, isn't that? Two letters difference, which just doesn't yeah. fit, does it? Yeah. Um, uh, no, I don't think so. You've got to concentrate. There's other things to concentrate on in the bedroom, isn't there? Yeah. You know, like if you're in one of those moments... Some but scenes. If, if the moment you're in is let's get some food involved, then that's what you're concentrating on, isn't it? But what would you take in? Everything you've got to think too much texturally, smell. Cleaning the sheets. Yeah, it's like hummus, no. Strawberries. They ain't just Celery sticks. Stuff. Too noisy. <laughs> Soup. Mm, mm. Too wet. Too yeah. hot. Yeah, vichy swirls. <laughs> vichy swirls with a straw. But then that's Straws. not sexy. Yeah, it's not. I just don't think food is very sexy. I don't. No. Do you? No, 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 no. Yeah. No, mate. What are you on about? Um, also, food in the bedroom. I mean, breakfast in bed is the shittest thing of all time. The idea that that is some sort of luxury to me is entirely baffling. Because it's stressful. You can't... Things are... You know, you don't have a table. Yeah, but what if you have one of those lap tables? Yeah, but then you're just a real f- gribbler. So it's like, oh, you make a thing. You've, like, spent money so that you can eat in bed. That's gross. Unless what? you need it for health reasons that's a different thing my kids have them Good but they don't them. eat in bed they that's put, just so they, they can their make, be like the wormwoods in Matilda and just eat in front of the telly which is the telly box no they put the uh, put the iPads on there it's quite lazy isn't it just put it on your lap no we'll buy you a table buy you a laptop an iPad table yeah um, so yeah food in the bedroom should stay out church and state you know yeah, but I just genuinely like what it's like chocolate. Like you just have a chocolate bar and then go to bed. Have a you know a finger of fudge or something and then go to bed. Don't oh I'm going to melt it. So you're in the microwave for ages. You get hot spots and stuff, don't you? In microwaves. Oh yeah. So you drop some of that, and then suddenly you're in the territory of I've got. I actually it, it's quite it's you know from sexy to weird can it's quite a, thi- a fine line. Yeah. And suddenly it's like, you're a bit self-conscious because actually you've got melted chocolate over you. It looks a bit like you've shut the, the bed. Exactly, it's the wrong colour. White chocolate's not, yeah, it doesn't really work much. Milky better, bars? Yeah, but then you've got the milky bar kid in your head and you and he's strong and tough, but he's also not you want to be talk, <laughs> thinking about at that time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not for me. All right, we've covered that off. 
Yeah, I'm thinking about it though, but no, no. I don't mean I'm thinking about doing it. I'm just just pondering on it. I was thinking like a bow bun. Like I had those weird bow buns from Itsu earlier. Were they any good? No, they're fine. I don't know why I bought them, really. It's that was a strange cool. move. It was really they've strange. Got a new, strange. They've got a new thing on it, Itsu, uh, and it's the miso soup, yeah. but it's got it's got some glass noodles and the veggie gyoza in it. It's quite nice. Oh, really? Yeah. Was it like more of a budget choice? It's not like one of the yeah, sort of fiver it's, numbers. It's three quid or something. No, it? I think it might be three ninety nine, but it's 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 you know both of us trying to you know watch our holiday weight, and it's like very uncalorific. Is it? And it's and a worth, terrific. But it's a worthwhile upgrade than the standard yeah. miso. But I got teased the other day for saying I thought it was great, and and my friend Alice was like, "Oh, that's such like a basic like lame food dude thing to say like when you're trying to be down with the people," oh, which it? I sort of agree with her, but also. I do think it's is great when you pick right. Is that like when people say that they, they really like Pizza Express, like I say? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Her example is KFC. But oh, people are like, oh, I love KFC. I have one every month. It was like, yeah, whatever. Mm. Virtue signalling of the food variety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah. do you think about the old Pizza Express uh, snafu, Sam? Well, didn't it turn out it's not really a snafu? It's just like, yeah, the wheels could come off, but probably won't. They're putting a brave face on it, but it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's tricky. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. But the it's water tri- therein is not warm, it's no. hot. It's tricky for everyone, isn't it? Yeah, but not everyone is 1.4 million in debt per that, site. W- that doesn't quite work either, actually, thinking about it. You're in hot water, but the sharks are circling. Sharks, again, nowhere near hot water, are they? That is, yeah, the metaphors don't mix. They don't. But that's a mixed metaphor, because nobody says really often, oh, you're in hot water and it's full of sharks, do they? No one says Or the sharks, sharks, sharks are circling. Yeah, that doesn't quite work, all right. But pointed it out, if we ever hear that, then we can go, ah, yeah, that doesn't work. Sharks hate hot water. Yeah. Well, they like warm water. That's why we don't get many sharks up in uh, this neck of the woods. What, UK, the, as opposed to London. Because it's too cold. Yeah, it's too cold. Right. They like it warm. They do like a you bit of like warm water. You get like tiger sharks and basking sharks, I think. But you're not yeah. going to get a great white. But you get great... Actually, do you know what? I've, I'm going to disprove my thing. Uh, when I went to Cape Town... Uh, not a big fan of Cape Town to be honest but went there and uh, as you fly in you fly over some bay and there's the nuclear power station and the coolant the water that they use to cool everything and then they pump it back out to sea Mm -hmm. you look down and you can see more sharks than you could ever imagine seeing in one place because they just go and warm up in the in the warm water outlets. So it turns out they love hot water. Yeah. <laughs> like boiling hot nuclear powered water. And what they're sorts really of sharks into. are those? Like great whites and whatnot. Right. Yeah, off Cape Town. They're, and they're just hanging out. They're they in are the hanging hot... out. When you see them and you're like... That's a cool thing to see. And seeing it? it from a plane and you're like, God, that looks pretty big. But imagine how big it is when you're down there. Huge. Huge. Would you... Are you up for that? Chuck a bit of chum and go in a cage and go and hang out with some sharks? Yeah. What's chum? That's like all fish guts and whatnot. Yeah, I'd be up for that. I think that's twice in a week I've used that term chum and somebody didn't know what it was. Wow. wow. Um, but would you do that, get in a cage? Um, yeah, I'd get in a cage, yeah. Are you scared of sharks? Yeah. I mean, I'm not into them. I mean, I'm, I am into them, but I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not like Evie Ward. I don't want to go and give them a hug. No. But I'm not scared. Uh, yeah, I guess I'm quite scared, yeah. Well, I think that's the first thing you've ever said that you're scared of. That's not true. That is. What else? You, you're not scared of anything. Horror films. Oh, yeah. Can you be scared film. of a horror film? Yeah. So Thursday night, OFM Awards. Did yeah. we talk about that this week? No, we talked about that last week. Yeah. Um, big night, late night. Yeah. Got in pretty late, woke up early because the kids and whatnot. So I was on probably two or three hours sleep. Following evening, Rosie was out. 
I was meant to be working, but uh, was not needed at Transpire, but I don't want to cancel the babysitter last minute. So I went to see Joker on my own. Do not recommend doing that on three hours sleep. No. Mostly because of the trailers. It was all for like horror films. And I was, I was sort of squealing like a right. little child with... with like at one point I was just like, okay, I'm just not going to watch this trailer. But because I, I was on my own, I didn't want to... Like, just be staring I, at the person sitting next to you. Or like doing that, like covering my eyes. So I just sort of sat there like looking down at my knees, but just in a way that they wouldn't have known. It was very sly techers. What's, um, what's your review of uh, Joker? Um, it's very, again, on three hours sleep, very slow. So I found yeah. it quite hard going a lot of the time. But I, I thought it was really very good. I imagine it must be a struggle for you going to the cinema as well because you can't like watch 20 minutes and then be like oh, I'm going to bed now I'll watch another 20 minutes tomorrow <laughs> no I couldn't um, yeah and, and actually you know, Peter Bradshaw is my go to and it's one, it was a rare instance of me disagreeing with his uh, review of it he, he gave it a bit of a kicking and I thought it was superb I didn't think Phoenix overacted anything like as much as I felt Heath Ledger did actually in the role um, I thought it was an incredible performance. Loved the fella from uh, Billions and uh, True Detective, especially the scene when he meets his maker. That's pretty, um, pretty grim. Um, sorry, that was a bit of a spoiler alert. Um, uh, mate, I loved it. I'd go and see it again. Yeah, it's a good movie. What did you reckon? Yeah, I enjoyed it very much. Yeah, my wife really, really enjoyed it. I didn't uh, like it as much as she did, but um, yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah, it's good. Interesting. An interesting take. Mm. On a well-trodden deal. Where that came yes. From. <laughs> I thought so too. Um, anyway, so that concludes uh, Cinema Hour. Yeah. Uh, coming up this week on the podcast, we've got Chef and restaurateur Stevie Pyle. Stevie has been in the, uh, I'd say, like higher echelons of indie cookie people for a decade now. I've known him since we were both authors in the small, no, what was it called? New Voices in Food series for Quadril Books. Um, he's written several more books and has, or had the Dock Kitchen and Rotorinos, De Las Pastayo, Craft. Um, I feel he's got another place, but off the top of my head, it's, oh, pa- uh, Palatino. We've, I've visited them all. Have you visited them all? Uh, Palatino, Pastayo, not Craft, and didn't yeah. go to the Dock Kitchen, no. Yeah, anyway, um, up next, Stevie or Steve Paul. Um, How do you find the whole roving around, bouncing around your empire? I mean, not not so much an empire, but I, uh, I normally like it. Yeah, it's um, especially living out of London. I live in Kent. Yeah. So you're coming up every day, and I work normally a day from home. So I do four days in London. It's the idea, anyway. It doesn't yeah. always work. Um, and yeah, and then I sort of rove around each one. I haven't got a proper home. You try town. and hit everyone every day. No. What I try and do is do one day in one place, but right. I'm not organised enough or clever enough to manage my diary like right. that. But yeah, no, I try and do the. So what's the day been? Well, today I was trying to take the week off. Because <laughs> you're a bit under the weather. Cause I'm, well, because it's half term more. Uh, of course, yeah. And um, 
but I didn't manage to do that. So I came in to meet a prospective new landlord and talk about blue with a designer. Talk about blue. Talk about blue. The colour. We've had a lot of chat about the colour blue, Sam and I. Have we? Yeah, because it's it's uh, an appetite suppressant. So oh, you yeah, be careful yeah. how you use the colour blue. <sighs> yeah. Just built a restaurant that has all the blues in. Blue is an out. Who says blue is an out? You can't just say that. It's a thing. Show and, me. And like red is a. Show me the internet. Well, I mean, the thing about any theory is you can find something to back it up on the internet. Um, but that's what, like fast food. Like red is a. It makes you eat. Uh, like sort of gets the appetite going. So like that's why McDonald's and KFC and a lot of fast food places use the color red. Um, green obviously says fresh. Uh, and, but green and- is a color that you're not supposed to use in retail. Because a friend of mine put together a whole scheme for a floor of Selfridges, and it was green. Right. And they were like, no, we, we don't use green. No one uses green. Because it uh, stops yeah. people spending money? But Harrods is green. That's a good mm. point. People definitely spend money there. Green. But, but green they just didn't green. like the scheme, yeah. and they tried to... This was, this was like this green. You can't yeah. see that because we're on the radio thing. The, the, the snooker table. No, no Har- I think like dark racing green's all right. Same yeah, with like okay. dark blue, I think, is... It's okay, but right. pale blue, like some of our plates at S and D, yeah, um, is is an appetite suppressant. What about you can get a light for your fridge if you have real compulsive eating issues? Apparently, light for your fridge that makes everything makes it pale blue. So you open it, you're like, ah, oh, maybe I won't have that. Yeah, Stays. the thing is, if you did that though, then it's like that's like in a horror film or whatever when they open a fridge and there's something in it's it. It's like blue. It's, it has that cold blue light, doesn't it? They also sometimes put blue lights in toilets, but that's to stop people taking smack, not to stop people eating. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah. Do you know what's also a good appetite suppressant? Smack. Um, But design, so design is quite a big part of your life and your restaurants. I mean, it's a big part of everyone's, but you are known very much for the beautiful designs you and your collaborators. Or is it one in particular, Tom Dixon? I normally, I, I worked a lot with Tom Dixon who I think is brilliant, and Tom's a friend, and he's a real, he's a, I mean, the maverick is a really, you know, so that's an overused word, I don't really know what it means, but he has a different way of looking at things to anyone you'll ever meet, you know, he'll give you a new perspective on anything you ask him about. How did you first meet? Um, It feels like a long time ago, but that was when I was, so I, in, uh, I'm not very good on dates and stuff, but in sort of 2009, 2008, when around the crash, I was doing pop-ups, they weren't even really called pop-ups then. It was like, uh, there were a couple of people doing supper clubs in their houses. You, mm-hmm. Mrs. Marmite, yeah. and someone else. Can't uh, remember. Horton Jupiter. I can't I remember, remember what his was called. Horton Jupiter. Yeah. Imagine being called that. Is that, that a real person's name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That does sound like, not meaning to cast shade on him, but that does sound like the name of somebody who might have a head in their yeah. fridge. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking I might want to go to his supper club. <laughs> yeah. Delicious. I have a feeling it might still be going, but I could be wrong. Anyway, and then I did a few, but on mine were like chef ones. So I did some on the boat, I did some in the rowing club, just whatever space. And, you know, people would, no one would, you couldn't really ask a landlord if you could do a pop-up because they'd be like, what, you want to squat? What mm-hmm. does that mean? doesn't mean anything. And now every landlord in London, if you can take over a space temporarily and activate it and mm-hmm. place make and all that, <laughs> they love it. Yeah. I mean, those things don't mean anything, placement, yeah. all that, yeah. you know. But no, no, one, no one knew anything about that, so, so they thought I was a squatter. And I actually, I only did a few, but because back then there wasn't that much to write about in the food world in London because there mm. wasn't that much happening and there wasn't that much of interest. So I did a few and then I don't even think it was social media based because I was a bit of a Luddite. 
And then I just started getting these calls from like people from Vogue and say, when's the next dinner? When's the next dinner? I was like, really, it was just on my boat for some friends. Yeah. And then it was in the standard. And, and then I was trying to get this building where Dot Kitchen was because it was empty. And at one point, River Cafe had considered moving there. I think they were going to get kicked out of Hammersmith. Right. So I knew about it. And it was an amazing, you know, it's an amazing building. That was this long warehouse with a huge terrace by the canal mm. in a weird bit of Labrick Grove an amazing space so I was trying to get in there and I heard that Tom Dixon going, was going in there through a friend of mine who's a graphic designer because um, they'd done some graphics for it or something anyway and I got his number and I called him and I said what's happening you know can I get in there first and he said oh yeah of course um, so he asked the landlord who uh, some massive landlord I've forgotten the name of who said no what are you talking about of course you can't um, and then he said well you know what it is actually a little bit too big for me so I ended up having the, the edge of his showroom space mm. and he built all these sort of funny ramshackle sheds through the warehouse. And in the evening I had sort of 20 seats and a one-man kitchen. And in the daytime I had 20 seats and a one-man kitchen and it was sort of staff canteen. There was a lot of music management around there back then. Right. Um, you know, so it was sort of occasionally like Adele would walk in. But generally it was designers and people mm. working around the place. There'd be quite a lot of fashion. BBC was still there, so they would come. But then in the evening I took over the whole showroom. But it was this kind of constantly changing, weird ramshackle sheds with kind of millions of lights and, and all different furniture. But it was brilliant. It was brilliant. And we did that. It was supposed to be for a week. And then we decided to stay. You know, it was supposed to be for design week 2009, I think. And then we decided to stay till Christmas and then actually we'd right. done really well and it had been really busy and we'd made some money. And we said, well, look, what happens if we take the whole floor and Tom then moved his showroom downstairs and turned it into a retail yeah. area and took another office on the other side of the canal for all his team, which was much smaller back then anyway. Um, and then that was Doc Kitchen. So it was kind of Doc was the first place and it was an accidental restaurant, really. It wasn't a... Yeah, because in, in hindsight, certainly... <laughs> I mean, it was just a the, the most beautiful space, but also the idea of that being your first restaurant, which I know wasn't your intention. But if if you'd have sort of fast forwarded th three years and the spaces it was then, and the idea that now someone would take that on as a you know on your own independent, absolutely insane, absolutely dream insane, restaurant. a dream restaurant. But the barrier to entry on a massive restaurant like that is so high. Mm. Normally, you know that's. You know, now if I were to do that from scratch in a space that wasn't a restaurant, I just wouldn't be able to spend less than a million quid. Mm. But I did it then. I just had £5,000 in the bank and Tom had furniture and we just so I just started cooking and it worked. And that's why it was such a weird restaurant, such a weird menu, because yeah. it wasn't a concept thing and I'd never had to pitch it to anyone. It just sort of happened. We just, I just cooked whatever I wanted and, and you, it kind it of wasn't, grew like and that. And it's still rather like Pigeon. It still had that supper club thing of you change the menu every week and it was always a kind of the theme. And I, kept on change, I kept on changing my mind. At, at one point, it was a la carte at lunch, small a la carte. When I opened, I think everything was £6.50. That doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work at all. What? Um, and then in the evening, it would be regional mostly. Yeah. So it'd be like a, you know, a specific place that I'd been to or sometimes it would just be like, oh, wow, it's autumn right now, so we'll just cook. And it was, it was set menus. Mm. And then I kept tweaking it and changing it, and I just like to change things all the time. 
Um, so I think in the end, we ended up doing a la carte for lunch and a la carte for dinner with a set menu on top. Right. Because I think when you're just doing 20 people a night, you do a set menu and two of them are like, oh, can I have this instead of that? And that's not too bad. But if you're doing 120 people a night and you're trying to do a set menu, it's a real pain mm. because the number of, you know, 20% of those people don't really, really don't want what you're trying to feed Seven them. Seven spice chicken livers. Everyone wants that was delicious. Actually, that chicken liver dish, which I absolutely loved, I would always put it on the party menus, and people would come up to me all the time and say, oh, I thought I didn't like chicken livers, and I had that. It's good. That, that's both the nicest and most annoying thing people say as a cook and a chef is, oh, I usually don't like that, but yours was delicious. It's like, well, thank you, but also should try new things more often because <laughs> it's probably just in your head that you don't like it. Yeah, thank you. I don't value your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is the response. Yeah. Tom Tom Dixon, I was not talking out of school, but he came for a sandwich the other day in the sandwich shop. Of course, because he's opposite. The opposite, yeah. So he came in and he was with this guy and um, I, they sat down and um, at the bar and, and they'd ordered and, and I was... Got, I was talking to them and the, the guys with said uh, I said oh we work around here and I said oh that's great what, whereabouts do you work and I said you should have said I'd, you know locals discount or whatever and he said um, oh uh, we work at Tom Dixon and I was like oh that's amazing that's amazing and then he went that's Tom Dixon and Tom Dixon just did the coolest thing which I thought you know sort of seemed like quite an intimidating dude in a way if you don't know him and also god that's Tom Dixon and he literally just looked up from his sandwich and just raised his eyebrows and then went back to his sandwich <laughs> I just thought that was that was a very cool way of handling that because you would think as well somebody's saying this is Tom Dixon if you're Tom Dixon you're probably a bit like don't do that you know but I mean I think he always actually felt that slight tension of his name being his brand yeah and that being something that he doesn't really control anymore and that is weird isn't it yeah you know I'm sure you know, maybe Jamie doesn't get that but it is I was going to say like Jamie yeah I think he loves it do you want me to open your beer oh, oh, I'm, I'm like worried about it now <laughs> um, and what was your cooking background before you got into Doc Kitchen you know the origin story yeah so I was um I left school at 16 and did a bunch of travelling. And then I think I knew that I wanted to cook, save some money, went to Ireland, went to Ballymaloo. Where did you graduate in your class? Where? I don't yeah. think they have... Do they That's have what everyone says. But it's not true, Steve. They, they do have they, a rank. No, they don't. Oh, well, not nowhere near the top. Oh. They, don't no. have, they don't have a rank. No, they do give you some sort of grade, don't they? Let's not get into it. Did you go there? Yeah, yeah. Graduated and you top, got a great graduated top graduated of his class. Top, I came top of the cooking exam. T- came top of the class. He never. I've never stopped talking. <laughs> <laughs> Did Rachel so me- finish my? <laughs> finish no. Well, so you were a mediocre Ballymaloo student. I was a mediocre Ballymaloo student, and then somehow just really just kind of blagged a job at River Cafe. How did you find your time there? Because actually, I don't think we've ever talked about this in depth on at Ballymaloo. Oh, how did I find my time at Ballymaloo? Um, pretty amazing, yeah. But you were only sort of so you were sixteen. I was 17. sixteen. I turned seventeen when I was there. Crazy, which is insane now yeah. when I think back at it. And to be so sort of single-minded at that age, I think is mm. is quite weird. Um, anyway, that's that's a different thing. I found it amazing. The thing I really found, you know, I'm I'm from Birmingham. You know, quite in the city. You know, I mean, I don't mean like in a city like that, but you know, not not I'm not a farm mm. person. 
And actually to be getting up and picking the vegetables and picking the herbs and cooking them um, right then was amazing. And that did, that definitely informed, still does, my whole cooking mm. life. Whether I still cook scallop Mornay... Um, <laughs> You don't? <laughs> is, is another That's question. That's not a dinner party staple around the park, <laughs> house, isn't it? I, I remember, even at 16, actually, I remember cooking that, thinking, why are we making this? <laughs> um, but also some am- absolutely amazing food and beautiful produce. And Darina is a force, mm. you know, an absolute force, still is, you know, and, and um, yeah, a really inspirational person. And as, as was Myrtle, you know, she was... yeah. Well, she was just, actually, she was just really scary, I thought. Was she teaching when you, when you were there? She wasn't teaching, but I went and worked quite a bit in the house. Right. And she would come in and just tell me what was wrong. Yeah. You know, with the, um, oh my God, what are they called? What are those little puff pastry canapes Vol-a-vent. called? vol <laughs> She'd tell me what was wrong with my vol and that sort of thing. But, yeah, amazing, amazing. Then I blagged a job at River Cafe at 17, and then Moreau's interviewing me and saying, oh, I'm not going to pay much if you've got a bicycle. I was like, don't worry, I'll be OK. And she did not pay me much. But Do you mind me asking? I'm just, you know, so this is like 2007, 2009? No, earlier. no, earlier than earlier. that. Um, so what was the going rate 15, for a commie 16 chef? 16 years ago. Hang on. I'm 34. I started when I was 17. So, yeah, 17 years ago. 17 years ago. I think it was £45 a shift. And the shift was like... A shift, a shift wasn't a double. Right. But I'd often, you know, it'd often be like nine till seven. Okay. For 45 pounds. So what's that? That's 10 hours. Four pounds 50 an hour? Four pounds 50 yeah. an hour. It wasn't much. Yeah. Wow. In fact, I think there was a minimum wage and that was below it. <laughs> I guess officially it was nine to five and I would just. Yeah. What a way to make a living. Um, but that was obviously this proper turning point. It was amazing. I mean, initially, you know, I was really young and they, you know, they sort of really, I was the youngest chef they ever hired. I would spend the morning, so I'd get in, always, you know, try and be always early. um, And I'd scale and gut these massive sea bass. You know, they buy the really big, beautiful ones. Wasn't allowed to fillet them. And then I would pick sort of 15, 20 kilos of crab, wasn't allowed to cook the crab. You know, those big Cornish crabs. Then I'd clean the fridge or during service, I wasn't allowed to do service, and then I would scale more bass, I think. Were you cutting the scales off or using a scaler? Used a small knife to scrape them off. We had Josh Nyland on last week, and he was talking about the importance of cutting the scales off with a sharp knife, not the old scrapey-scrapey. like, that's going to fuck your fish up. What does it do? I don't know, the guy knows about fish. He's the fish butcher book yeah, guy. Yeah, the fish butcher. That's a better description of him than I described him on last week's podcast. <laughs> I mean, how he described it was very logical. A lot of the things he says, it's just like absolutely standard, 99.9% of every fishmonger, every fish cook has always done it that way. But he's like, if you're like, with a scaler, like, what do you think that's doing to the flesh underneath the skin? And you're like, yeah, kind of. I mean, one of those like really hairbrushy you know, things. Yeah. yeah, no, we wouldn't have been allowed to use that, I don't think. You had to use a knife. Mm. But we didn't use a sharp knife. You still, like, scrape them off, don't you? You can't slice them off. Well, he made it sound like you're slicing them off. Maybe. I don't know. Like, as a piece, butcher. coming off as a piece. Really? That sounds good. I'm going to try it. Anyway, so, right, so, anyway, so we cleaned the so fridge. So six months I was just cleaning stuff, and I loved it. Yeah. I loved it all. I loved... And who was in the team? Which, which mega chefs of, the, of today? Theo Randall was the head right, chef. Yeah. 
So it was after, like, there was no Jamie Oliver, no Sam Clark. It was quite a long time after all of them. But Theo Randall was the head chef. Is he a proper psycho? No, oh, he's lovely. He okay. seems like the nicest guy in the world. Exactly. Oh, I see. He's he seems like the, he nice. seems like the no. nicest dude in the world. Like, just always sort of seems just genuinely quite no. a happy individual. I always felt that he didn't like me. All right. Um, and maybe he didn't. <laughs> it's perfectly possible. <laughs> but um, I'm sure he doesn't listen to your podcast, I'm afraid. What do you mean? But <laughs> Theo's actually our guest next week, yeah. so we'll Jeez, ask him. He probably will now. No, I always felt he didn't like me. And I used to, I used to you know, you, so you used to, because they write the menu every day. And while I was cleaning my fish, I'd be thinking, oh, what jobs am I going to get given? Because after six months, I did get a few cooking jobs. And like some, Do you remember some the first thing you were asked to cook in service? Rose, no, not in service. Well, I did coals for so long, but the first thing I had made was salsa verde with Rose. And that was pretty amazing. But then when Theo was running the shift, he'd always give me this really bad job list. It was always like blanch spinach and do something else. And of course it wasn't that he didn't like me, he just wanted an easy life. And he just gave everyone the things he, they knew he could do. Anyway, so it was Theo, Rose and Ruthie were their loads. Um, April Bloomfield was one of the sous chefs. There was another sous chef there when I started called Gary. I don't know what he does now. Um, but then he left and then it was April... And Sean and Joe, who are now the head chefs, yeah. were there also. They weren't, they were like senior, they weren't Sue's yet. Must have been another Sue, but I've forgotten. So quite a big team. Quite a big team, yeah, but it was a very different restaurant really then. It was before the fire, the kitchen was much smaller, really domestic in the style right. of cooking there. Still is. No, um, you know, you cooked for each other. Menu was written every day. It was none of that, like, you're on this section Right. For six months. So I'd make the salsa verde that goes on your dish, which is actually a really amazing way of doing quality control. Because actually, if you've got someone who's a bit of a dodgy cook and they're cooking for themselves and then they're making their own mise en place and then doing their own service. Yeah. You know, they can like no one now. And maybe no, in, no, maybe no one's going to taste that at all. Potentially. Mm. I mean, probably most kitchens, everything gets tasted, but potentially not. But actually, if you're cooking for everyone then there's this kind of interaction and conversation about things that can be really nice. Also, it can be a bit annoying if someone does it. You know, I'm not, I'm not using that. Can't, like can't cook with that. You know, and you just mess it up. Yeah. You or you just don't do it. You know. And because there were lots of head chefs and they all had different ways of doing things, it was quite complicated. That, that's always a tricky one when, when, you're, when you're being pulled one way and then another. Yeah. Um, and there's no sort of top of the tree I suppose Rose and Ruth were but day to day they were but then Theo would be like yeah. no I want it done like this yeah. and and that's probably another reason why I didn't like it because I'd be always like well Rose wants it done like this and that's how I'm doing it so it was kind <laughs> of at 17 that was a real piece of work and how high did you climb in that um, well no one really leaves so there's a there's a ceiling for sure there um, so I. It's like you know, it's like the League of Gentlemen, like Royston Vasey. You'll never yeah, leave. Yeah. yeah no, pe- people don't leave because it's a brilliant job and they pay really well. So you know, I, there was never any potential, and I probably wouldn't have wanted to to get to run any services or anything like that. Um, and there was a you know, so I cooked every section, and I worked there for quite a few years, three or four years. Then I left for a while, and then I and did some travelling and worked in a few other places. I went to New York and uh, Japan. And I got back to London and Rose phoned me and said, I've got cancer. One of my chefs has just had a heart attack. Um, you know, I know you're back because he told me you're back. Can you come and work for a bit? And of course mm. I did. I sacked off whatever job I was about to take. 
sorry Sky. Um, <laughs> and, um, Brutal. No, she wanted me. She was fine. And went back to River Cafe like in a, in a flash. And I stayed two two more years there. Me and Rose were great friends. Um, and we would, you know, we'd cook together on our days off Sri Lankan food often. We both had this real passion for Sri Lankan food. And I think actually if she was still alive, she would have opened a Sri Lankan restaurant. Really? I think so. And it would have been amazing. Um, anyway, and we would cook. And then, and then and I compressed my working week into three days. So everyone else did six or seven shifts over five days. And mm. I did three doubles. And then I started my supper clubs and wrote my book while I was there. And then kind of that fell into Dog Kitchen. Did you cook when you were out in New York and Tokyo or Stars or I, whatever? I, um, I helped April at the Spotted Pig, who's my friend from River Cafe. She'd, she hadn't just opened, but she'd been open a while. And I was there kind of helping her out. And I would quite often do the pass and then she could kind of jump on the sections. Um, you know, poor Spotted Pig. Dead, dead mm. pig. Um and then I cooked a bit in Tokyo. I went to work for an Australian chef called Luke Mangan, who was doing an opening of a restaurant called Salt that um, I really didn't like at all. I really hated the food. I thought it was disgusting. And the, the premise... <laughs> don't, sorry, don't, Luke. Don't, don't sugar the pill. <laughs> well, the, pre- the premise of the restaurant was about Australian produce. And the idea that we were down the road from Shijo, biggest, most amazing fish market in the world... And then we were cooking this, like, this sea trout flown from Australia. It's like deformed farm sea trout. It was disgusting. It was right. so stupid. Um, and they didn't, he didn't like me either. They didn't like me either. But what they did was, because I don't know why, so in that was like, really, this is your section, you do it. I was the cover guy for all the sections. So I'd be doing a the different floater. section every day. And right. then there'd be no mise en place. So I was just every day in the shit, and then I'd get prepped up so that the next day the guy had an easy time. Anyway, it was amazing in some ways because I got to see a Jap- team of Japanese builders making a restaurant, which was incredible. Mm. Completely on time. Everything immaculate. You know, the last few days they were in slippers, just polishing. No. It was beautiful. It was really, really beautiful. And the working culture was really interesting. So this idea that you don't leave before the boss. The Australian head chef didn't, didn't maybe understand that or didn't care. So he'd be at the bar getting pissed, chatting up the waitresses, and the chefs wouldn't leave. So they'd be just cleaning stuff that was clean wow. again, waiting for him to leave. They'd be missing their last train homes and home, oh and then they had to sleep in the internet cafe, and then they'd be back in the morning. And anyway. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was weird. Wow. It was weird. Because my next question was going to be, how, how, how have all these experiences, River Cafe and there and, and New York and... You know, how's that informed how you go about running your own teams? Yeah, I mean, all all your stuff you experience. So I, I worked, I also worked at Morrow and I worked at Petersham yeah. in between stints at River Cafe. Um, you know, so none of those restaurants are like what what chefs call old school, which mm. means asshole. You know, <laughs> none of them, none of them were that. So I've I've never kind of had that in my co- Not that they weren't tough, and actually, mm. you know, as some ways I, you know. Ruthie and Rose, they would, they were, they were, they weren't, it wasn't, mm. they weren't pushovers, you know. And I remember standing there being being screamed at by both of them. And that maybe if that had been a man and it had been more swearing, I would have been like, oh, I'm being abused here. <laughs> but um, anyway, so I, I, you know, that sort of family restaurant, more like a family restaurant, is still how I try and run, run my stuff. 
And it, it, how easy is that? Because it is high pressure and it, you know, the lid does blow off occasionally, inevitably. Or maybe it doesn't, but... I don't, know, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I don't run. I don't run any services anymore. Yeah. I don't do that. Um, I wasn't. Do that, you miss that? Not really. I wasn't that good at it. I mean, I loved the cooking bit, and I loved teaching people to cook, and I still cook. I do just the development stuff, and the signing off stuff, mm. and the kind of editing other people's work. I find I'm really quite good at. I think I can improve something when someone comes to me with with a, with a dish or with an idea or something. Um, but. Yeah, no, I, I never, I don't run the kitchen, so I don't have that time pressure. And of course, chefs have to shout mm. because you're calling tickets normally. Mm. So you're shouting already. And then, you know, so it's easy to, you know, and you have to create that environment of stress. You know, mm. that's how a kitchen runs, really. There has to be not stress. Yeah, stress. You have to create a stressful environment. One of the easy ways to do that, I think, is for it to be an aggressive environment. Because that's one way you can make people understand the importance of time pressure is by being mean and shouting at everyone. But it's not a very good idea mm. long term. No. And obviously it's not very nice for anyone, but it is an easy mistake to make, I guess. Yeah, I suppose yelling at people and, and obviously a lot of drawbacks, as you say, long term about aggressive or loud, shouty kitchens. But... I think sometimes it can be tricky. I mean, I haven't worked in a professional kitchen at all, but to get people in that f sort of fight or flight mode where you're pushing that hard, you know, where you're going that fast to get things done, to get people, I guess, to do things that appear on paper, there's no way that this can happen. You know, reading books about chefs doing their first shift on a grill, say, um, you know, in heat yeah. or, or whatever, you know, and, and on the grill. And I've got this unimaginable amount of protein that somehow has to get from here to here, perfectly cooked in this tiny space, space of time. And how do you how do you do, I don't uh, genuinely I mean, I've no idea. But how do you do that if you can't just yell at somebody, you know, and scream at somebody to push, push, push It's tricky. Especially if they're not very good at it. So when someone gets good at it, then it's really fun. Mm. You know, when everyone's really good at it, yeah. and it's just fast and clever and funny and not too not hard for everyone, that's then it's quite easy to be nice to them, I guess. Yeah. But when they're starting... But no, people didn't used to shout at me. Even when I have worked occasionally with shouty chefs, I was just never a person that maybe looked like they wanted to be shouted, that was going to help. It wasn't, yeah. wouldn't help. Um, but no, it's, I mean, it is difficult. And that's, of course, why people end up create, creating that horrible environment in their kitchens. Yeah, and there are the chefs that thrive on it. And, and then, you know, the young, when young, they thrive on that sort of arseholery and then um, repeat it when they're in a position of authority. And you just, you never get out of this cycle. And still, you, you know, you see... Chefs of your or or relatively recent your who you feel still yearn for the days when it was like it was all right to behave like that, um, and for as long as as long as you can get away with it, then um, it will continue. Yeah, and I suppose also because it sort of runs on this idea of resentment, and you know probably not when they were first in a kitchen hating that, you know, being you know, feeling terrible. I've just been you know yelled at all day, and then the idea that oh yeah yeah. But when I'm there, I get to do it again. It's a classic school bully yeah, thing. Totally. Like, you know, the yeah. bullied becomes the bullier. Yeah. But um, you know, you're not only trying to make people feel stress. You're also trying to make people feel that something that is actually not very important, like 
the piece of meat being perfectly cooked doesn't really matter on a sort of broader level you have to make them feel like that's really 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 important yeah um so that you can achieve your lofty heights of, oh. of cooking fame big time Speaking of lofty heights, um, there's a new burger in town, which, you know, I feel you inspired, really, but um, let's talk about the Cacio e Pepe burger, because you were going to do one, right? <laughs> of course, I wasn't going to do one. I was doing one as an April Fool's on, on our Instagram last year, and now it's real, and that's great. I heard on the grapevine, genuinely, that it started as a bit of a joke between Patty and Bun and, pa- and uh, Padella. And then there was a concern, and this could be absolute hearsay, this is just what I heard. They were concerned that you were going to get there first with Pastayo and McDonald's, I think, was the rumoured <laughs> collaboration. And so they were like, fuck it, let's just do it. So there is a Cacio e Pepe burger. There is a Cacio e Pepe burger. And I was going to do a collab with Patty and Bun. Right. And then obviously they got a bear off. <laughs> What was your collab going to be, can I ask? Uh, actually, I don't think we've worked it out. I don't think it was going to be a Cash and Pepe burger. But. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, I can't quite picture it. It's probably like, Fine. first few bites is probably, oh yeah, and then probably a few more after you're like, ah, that was probably a bit much. But I'm sure it's fine. I don't want to put you on the spot, Sam, but mm. you're a bit of a... Naysayer when it comes to Cacio e Pepe. I absolutely am, yeah. It's a question in the uh, oh, right, okay. overrated, underrated, or correctly rated, but we can throw that out there now. What is your view on Cacio e Pepe? Is it overrated, underrated, or correctly rated? Well, how is it rated? It's highly rated. I feel yeah, like it's, the, but these yeah, days yeah. It's, it's very really highly rated. rated. You know, it's, it's sort of a. I think it means something now. I feel like, oh, what, oh, what are you ordering in a, some pasta? Oh, I'm going to have the cacciatore pepper. Oh, it's a kind of signifier. I feel like, do you not feel that? Yeah, no, you're probably right. Well, it's overrated, isn't it? I mean, it's just cheese, cheese and pepper. Which I is it, I was in my first book, cacciatore pepe, when, like when I was 24. Was it? Yeah, I still have that book. hasn't hasn't That's because we kind been of cold book yet. brothers yeah, exactly. on that one. Book brothers. Um, I have to say, for that reason, I think it's correctly rated. Because, and I know you're going to say, mm, but because it is this, it's three ingredients, four ingredients if you include the water, or five if you combine cheeses. But um, you know, it is the ultimate frugal pasta dish. I mean, obviously that kind of cheese isn't that cheap, but uh, frugal in terms of what goes into it. So I sort of think made well. And it's fucking hard to make well. It's very easy to cock that up if you get the temperatures wrong. No, it is hard to make well. And it is one of those miracle recipes where you're like, how can these few ingredients mm. be this tasty? Maybe I just haven't had a good one. Because in my head, oh, it's pasta with cheese and pepper. And it's, ne- <laughs> and it's never been more than that. Where, where you have know? you had it? Don't uh, say pastaio. <laughs> you can say pastaio. Uh, I don't know. Where have I had it? I've probably never fine. had it because you've just have, been like no, sneering. Of course I've had it. Of course I've had it. And it's always fine. It's, it's, you know, there's nothing bad about it. Pasta, good. Pepper, good. Pecorino. Is it pecorino? Yeah. Good. Although probably put Great. a bit of parmesan as well. Makes nice. Um, uh, the best pasta... I still think the best pasta dish I've had in this new wave of London pasta dishes was the grouse ravioli you do, did on occasion at Pastaio. The Agnoli. The Agnoli, yeah, yeah sorry, that the was great. Oh, my God. That's a great dish. That was off the fucking Yeah, Tim Hayward said it tasted like a burger or something. 
as a compliment? Uh, no, as it was the he loved Pestaio and he loved the spirit of it and he wrote yeah. a really nice review. Um, but I'm pretty like sure he said it was, but maybe he didn't have a, maybe it wasn't good that Actually, day. I tell this you, happened. thinking about it, those visits to Pestaio were one of the few positive things that came out of Magpie, to be honest. Took the words out of my mouth. That was literally the next thing I was about to say. It's the one thing I miss about being in that. And Sabor, and seeing those guys and eating their food. But yeah, we we came along and loved it. Yeah, that was good fun. Well, San Pellegrino and um, lemon, all grapefruit to shake it up. I remember having some wine in there, but... I was just trying to sound cultured. Had to numb the pain somehow. Um, But they were great. Westfield's next. But I can't can't really make that annually there anymore. Why not? Because Pastayo is like... 25% 25% busier than it was last year. That's great. I don't know why. That's Be- amazing. And it was really busy last year. You know, we weren't kind of... I was really happy with, with the performance. And this year, it's massively more busier. What, the Carnaby one? The Carnaby one, yeah. And maybe just the... F- I think there are more tourists this year, maybe. Um, I think it's also just being somewhere for long enough. You know, if you, yeah. I think if you get through that first year... I mean, Magpie very much did not prove that wrong. But... Uh, Prove that fact, but um, but yeah, it's just being somewhere. As well. I've never had that know before because I've what I've done. I've always done those weird locations before. So we have like, luckily, I've always had amazing reviews. So you know, we have that huge bang, and then it does. You know, then it kind of levels out. It doesn't normally level out higher than the post review point. But mm. anyway, it's massively busy, and yeah, next even t- still, because I sort of feel. Uh, Maybe if you get an amazing review, it's slightly different. But I think everyone everyone waits for more of a consensus to to accumulate now. And and one great review, you know, for Sandwich Shop, we got a lovely review in the Yes Mag a couple of weeks ago. Um, it didn't feel like it went, but it gives you a little bump, and you kind of just feel like you have to keep pushing every every kind of bit of coverage to be as positive as possible by being as good as possible. Um, and well, maybe that's just us, isn't it? I mean, I've no other re- operators, restaurateurs, whatever you want to call them, who have had that. What you talk about more, like you know, got a great review in the Observer, and it's just gone fucking Looney Tunes. And then a few months later, it's well, kind of back to back to square one. It sort of depends how exactly how great. So when I opened Dot Kitchen, first review was. Actually, I think the first review was Marina, but it was just, you know, she used to do two reviews in the Metro. Right. So she did the big one of Polpo, and then the Dot Kitchen was just a little one. Um, But the first sort of big review was Faye, and it was very much like, you've got to go here before it goes, or something happens, you know. And then you got five stars from A.A. Gill. And then you got five stars from A.A. Gill, and those two were incredibly powerful. They, you know, phone ringing off the hook. We weren't ready, you know, we didn't really... I think we hadn't even have a booking system and stuff, so it was like, oh god, wow, now we've really. And when Faye came, I was so worried the restaurant was going to be empty. I asked some people from Tom Dixon to come, called them. I was like, we've got. I've called Tom, and he's like, oh, don't worry, I'll come. So he came with all these designers, and suddenly the place (laughs) felt really good. Um, Anyway, so I think so. Yeah, sometimes so we got a Jay Rayner late Palatino review. Yeah, a year ago, no, the January before last. It was very powerful. Yeah. It was an amazing review. It was like, better than, the food's better than in Rome, kind of. I think that's what you said, that sort of thing. Yeah, I, but I sort of feel like him and Grace, I feel like the Garden Observer in particular, you get more of a lift. And I don't know if that's because they've got the best online presence. Maybe I don't know. Best, you know, because obviously Telegraph's just old people <laughs> yeah. in the countryside. That's who I used to. Yeah. I wrote for Telegraph for five yeah. years and it was all old people in the countryside. The yeah. Times... 
you know, I think maybe those people, the Guardian readers, those kinds of people, maybe they go to our sort of restaurants more, so yeah. they're more impactful. Yeah. Maybe if you if you've got a restaurant in, I don't know, Hereford. But, but then again, like, you know, Pigeon, we've got a great review in the Guardian from Marina, and you know, all these things have an effect, but I didn't feel anything gave it as big a kick up the arse as Tim Hayward and the FT when we were nearly a year old, and that was, it felt like that was when things started to. Yeah, I wonder if that sort of thing, though, that like you were saying, like the accumulation of mm. a bunch of good reviews and being there and still being there. You know, I think it's, it's, for a lot of people, there's the, oh, we need to be in and it's hyped. And and for probably the vast majority of people, it's, oh, this place hasn't just opened last week. I don't mm. quite know what it is. It's, oh, yeah, this place has been here a year. There's just an accumulation of talk and reviews and everything all in one. I don't know. Could be. And how did you going from the positive to the less positive how 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 did you find the process of of closing Rotorino yeah two restaurants I've closed now Dot Kitchen was more circumstantial than Dot Kitchen I had to close because Tom was moving and that was you know it was over Um, Rotorino I closed mostly because the rent doubled right and I just sort of looked at it and thought it's just not worth it you know and I saw it you know, it was much loved. There was only dinner. We never opened mm. for lunch. There wasn't scope to make a lot of money there. Not even at the weekend? No, it was busy. It was really busy. Sorry, you didn't, you sorry, sorry, you didn't open for lunch at the weekend? No, people wouldn't come. It was right. really dark. Yeah. yeah. Had, it was long and thin. It was great inside. I, I loved it. Took it took us a while to get there, I'm ashamed to say, but I couldn't believe how big it was when you walk... Because yeah. it kind of from yeah, the outside... It's big, you, yeah, no, it's big, yeah. exactly. But there's no windows down there. So in the evening, it felt really cool. But in the day, actually, it was just a bit dark yeah. and weird. Um, so really, there was only dinner, even at the weekend. And I'm not sure people go out there for lunch on a Saturday anyway. So there was only so much potential for it to work. And the rent doubled, felt like everything was going to shit yeah. generally in the industry. And I just thought, why am I... I, did, I didn't live there anymore. Yeah. JD was my partner and I didn't live there anymore. And it was like, well, what's what's it for? You know, just... I had, I had and the, you know, this staffing, all the normal hassles not really making any money yeah. and I closed it you know but I was a, I think it's important to close a restaurant well you know so no one was you know I think all the team I think probably still most of them still work for me right um, you know no one kind of no one got screwed no one got screwed yeah no one got screwed but it's not it's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a fun thing to it's heartbreaking yeah. closing restaurants yeah no, it's heartbreaking. But we had five really good years, and it was really fun. And especially when I lived there, it was you know it was mm. a really fun restaurant. But at some point, it's like, why are we actually doing this? And it's a lot of work, mm. um, you know, just training people all the time because you know just turnovers, turnover was quite high there. I think because you couldn't have the great work life because it was only nights. So even if we, I never make people work loads and loads of hours, but if you work five nights a week. It's a bit miserable, yeah. maybe, you know, because you can't... Three nights... I think three nights is not, it's fine. Yeah. But, you know, three nights probably even better because then you don't see your partner too much and you get on better. <laughs> <laughs> but five, five... So anyway, closed it and it was sad, but it was okay. Yeah, it was okay. I think it's still lying dormant, so I guess that sort of bears, bears out a bit of a cock-up by the landlord if they're just getting <laughs> greedy and doubling their rent. They were idiots, yeah. these landlords. They really were... But I think I think people sort of read the. Oh yeah, who knows? Who knows what goes through individuals' 
landlord's minds, but I think there's definitely a, an element of like, oh, East London, East London's kicking off, and there's restaurants opening everywhere. We can definitely double the rent on this. As some, yeah. so they'll pay it, and then quickly realise. And it was quite cheap the rent when we took it, and also there was nothing else there. Mm. So it was us and the Haggerston, which is a yeah. legendary pub with a late license, been there for ages, and then Passing Clouds, that club yeah, yeah, behind yeah. the back, which kept on getting shut down and yeah. lost its license. And, and that was sort so, of it. And that was it. And but then all those other people came in, probably paying more rent. You know, wine bar here, cocktail bar closed. there. A lot of those are now closed. Um, but they probably thought they could pay more rent. It all went up. I'm, I'm fine, thanks. Um, you know, and that. But that's that's London. But I, you know, the the if we had managed to get a great license there, we could have. It would have worked. You know, so if we'd have got the two a.m. that it needed. I could have had this like late night restaurant that got quite boozy, was really fun. Yeah. But because it's in the stupid special uh, policy yeah, area, yeah. you know, it's like everyone has to be in bed at eleven o'clock. It's, it's <laughs> you know, it's just absolutely ridiculous, and that will really stifle that whole area because those existing businesses with good licenses will be bought by groups that can afford it. Yeah. So no one new can get a license at all in that area. And very few people can get any extensions. So, you know, that sort of vibrant East London from a nightlife, obviously restaurants is different, but from a sort of late night perspective, it'll die because, you know, this council's killing it. And um, it's just the way it is, you know. It's a shame, though. And did the... I I can't remember the exact timings of it, but opening Pastayo, obviously with Dot Kitchen closing and and that one as well, the the idea to move into something a little quicker and a little more repeatable, potentially, were you thinking that when you opened the first Pastayo? Yeah, in a way. There's a There was a sort of business motivation for Pastayo, for sure. But I also wanted to do something cheaper. You know, I really just... I like feeding people... And I think the fact that you can, you know, there's a pasta we put on there. I think it's six pounds, might be six fifty. Fresh spinach pasta, chili, garlic, breadcrumbs, rocket, maybe something like that. So good, so tasty. And because pasta obviously is mostly made out of flour and water, even if you buy the best flour, mm. it's still cheap. So I can still buy, you know, I buy the same jars of tomatoes that the River Cafe do. Yeah. I think their tomato pasta is £24. <laughs> 20, maybe it's more than that, I don't know. And I th- don't think it should be cheaper. I mean, it's a different, it's a completely different thing. You have sort of two waiters each. Um, but my restaurant is really cheap and I love it. So the idea that we do something really cheap that would, like, feed more people, I really was into. And, yeah, doing, you know, just stopping doing loads of different restaurants. It's quite hard, quite mm. hard work, you know, and fewer good people around to work for you and all that kind of thing. Um, and how's, how's the process of uh, opening in Westfield going? Because that's, that's uh, you know, Westfield's suddenly on a bit of a tear in terms of getting actually quite serious. Yeah, operas. I mean, and it's, you know, it's not Dalston. Really, <laughs> like, really, really, really not Dalston. Um, so it's really different for me, and I'm a, quite worried... The process has been painful yeah. in terms of dealing with the landlord. Red tape is sort of yeah. The roof. I mean, really hard. And I'm a patient person, and it but it's been tough, and I've been angry. It's not a good week to ask. Right. <laughs> sorry. Okay. But I'm sure if you ask me in a year, then hopefully, when's that opening? Yeah, you don't ask that. <laughs> don't you know that? I mean, sorry, you've got just so our listeners can know when to go. No, it it should be opening months. early December. Okay. So come in February, guys, when... 
<laughs> but the, the thing is with those land, you know, with big landlords is they want the whatever they perceive as being cool or independent, but and they know that that's different from what they've had before or what they generally have. But at the same time, they don't seem to have any understanding of why it's different and how it should be handled differently. Has been my experience. I mean, I think some land. I mean, this is very, very uh, niche interest. <laughs> but I think some landlords actually really do understand that, and you know, some big landlords are really good to work with. I think some central London landlords have been really helpful to me. Um, but Westfield have been. Yeah, been really hard. I mean, the submission process for the design packs and stuff is similar to Argent, I think. Maybe <laughs> it might be worse than Argent. There's no such thing. Yeah, I'm not Can sure. Can we say that? Yes. There's something in our lease saying we're not allowed. I, I will absolutely say it. Sue me. Sam's like, they can kick us out. I'm like, yes, Sam, they can kick yeah, us out. They, they ain't kicking us out. It's just a faff. People don't want hassle, do they? And it's a hassle for them they to kick us out. They fucking do. Anyway, 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 anyway. anyway. <laughs> I'm um, not starting a war with our landlord. I think that was just sort of declaration. Battle. I was yeah. fighting tour, yeah. wasn't it? Watch out, step down. Right, wary that you've got to get back to Kent and uh, yeah, what, what, what? It's what quick fire time, know? I reckon. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Quick fire. Um, what's the worst pasta dish? Your least favourite. At what point does the pause make it turn off and not on the radio? <laughs> That's not the thing. It's definitely not um, a quick fire answer. <laughs> it's quite hard. That's a hard quick fire. Oh, sorry, a bit of time to think. It's fine. Maybe it's spaghetti bolognese. Really? Might be. People hate me for that, but it's right. Spaghetti bolognese is not right. It's not that nice. Really? I don't, I don't think that would be a popular choice. What would your worst pasta dish be? Well, the one that sprang to mind, but actually I liked, was Rosie cooked me something when we were very first, very first dating, very first courting, um, which was from the Silver Spoon book, sitting right there, uh, and it was pasta with cabbage and potato. It sounded absolutely foul, and actually it was, it was delicious. I don't, I think, I think like the worst pasta dish is like saying what's the worst ingredient. There are no bad pasta dishes; there are just bad cooks. Potatoes. I love a potato pasta, double carb. Yeah, I'm into it. Yeah, Ruthie, that sounds delicious. You like, and you like a pasta burger as well. <laughs> uh, what's your favourite type of glove? <laughs> what the fuck is that? That's the one that made me laugh earlier. Well, strangely, recently, um, recently, I have a really weird house. We've got okay. a lot of animals. I love your house. We live in pictures. a we live in a nature reserve. And it, we have this. Oh, wow. We have an off-grid house, so it's all solar and all that. And we've got a lot of animals in the family. Just got. A Did you puppy. just get a dog today? Just got a puppy on Monday. Wow! Oh, wow! It's a cute puppy. Yeah, it's beautiful. Have you got a lurcher or a? I've got a lurcher. Oh, yeah. that's my dream dog. It's lovely. We used to have an Irish wolfhound, but she got very. Um, she got uh, very territorial. A lot of people walk their dogs past, so she right. kept fighting people. So now she lives um. somewhere else. Anyway. Um, in the sky. So we the glove. <laughs> back to the glove. Yeah, we have a hawk. No, no way! You have a hawk. That's so cool. What kind of hawk? A Harris hawk. Wowzer! She's called Minerva, and she's amazing. And she's only young. She's like thirty weeks old, and we're training her at the moment. That is so cool. What so you do there? And the gloves. And I'm I'm really into the shopping element of the hawk because right. I like stuff. Yeah. Like beautifully made stuff. 
Um, so I have this deer skin glove. No way. That is so cool. That is amazing. And it's have really you got the little hood and stuff? No, we don't hood her, actually. Oh, okay. You can, but right. you don't really need to. If okay. you're like places with loads of other birds and all that, then you have yeah. them all hooded. But she doesn't need to be hooded. She's good. You didn't think that was going to be the answer, did you? I did not think that that was going to be the answer. That's such a cool answer. I didn't think that was going to be the question either. (laughs) What's your favourite glove? Um, Golf glove, obviously. No, no, no. I'm not into a golf glove. I quite like the idea. I don't think you can pull them off without just looking like a psycho, but my dad sometimes wear them. You know, like a leather... Driving glove, like a leather driving glove, just walk, wear them walking around the street. It's It is an issue for a man though to not look like a murderer mm. or like a child. <laughs> to yeah. choose a glove, yeah. I go out in marigolds if yeah. I'm cold, and that's not weird. <laughs> you like a mitten though, don't you? A mitten. Yeah, I don't mind a mitten. But that's yeah. that's that's quite childish. Child, very childish. Yeah. I mean, you 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 you'd rock it well. That's sweet of you to say. Yeah, you're very childish. Uh, what's your favourite Italian city? Just back from Venice, and I just remembered how amazing it is. I think I'm going to say Venice. Probably a lot of people's answer, but it is just nothing like it. And yours, James? Um, Florence. Florence. Yeah, and nice. the machine. Nice. Uh, what's Yo, what would yours be? Because you had a little tour last year. Uh, Rome. Yeah, that's Rome. lovely. We all had yeah. a little different yeah. answer. Yeah, I went to. And you did all three of those yeah, cities. Went to Venice. Went to Florence. Went to Rome. Absolutely love Rome. If you'd asked a month ago, I'd have said Rome as well. Yeah. But I just went back to Venice and I just thought, this is... We absolutely loved like, all of them. Of course, amazing. I mean, amazing places. But it's just, there's nothing like it. Yeah. I just thought Rome was, for me, I was, my brother was there at the weekend. Um, and so I was talking to him about it. And we both said the same thing, that just Rome seems more like you turn a corner and there's just something that looks like it's so fake, but it's not. It's yeah. been there for thousands of years. You know, even you get off the tube and there's the um, Colosseum. And yeah. it just looks it's like insane, a film set. It? It's just I'm going to take my, my son... The seven-year-old really wants to go. So I'm going to take him there for his birthday. Have nice. you read the Robert Harris Cicero trilogy? No, I think so. It's very good. It's a lot of Rome vibes. Really? The Seven Hills. I'm, sadly, it's one of the things that makes me feel like I'm not doing my life right. I'm not a big reader. Ah. I did, but as a teenager, I read and read and read and read and read. And really, since I had kids, I haven't really read. Yeah, that happens. Hardly anything. Yeah. Do you do like two, two, two pages and then you're just like... Mm. Yeah. How many have you got now? Three. Yeah. It's too many. Same it's same. far too many. And all the animals. It's two, three children. Just throwing a hawk out. That's so cool. Can, can I ask... And <laughs> I, Dr. Doolittle over here. I don't know if it's a rude question to ask somebody this, but how much does a hawk cost? Oh, not very much. Oh, really? Yeah, 200 quid. Oh, really? Should we hawk. get a pet hawk? Getting a hawk. Keep, Keep it in here. Keep it in here. Keep it in here. On, just on the water cooler. Yeah, on the Eden. Um, what's your kebab of choice? I would say, I'm not. I don't. I'm not. I'm not like a big drinker, messy late no, no, night no. kebab answer. Although I used to like shabab in Shepherd's Bush when I was young. But anyway, Musa in Istanbul, chia kebab. Right. What's that? He, he does. He makes kofta, and he makes two. Well, he makes amazing. Do you know? Have you been to that restaurant? No. So Musa is a legendary Istanbul chef. He travels all around Turkey collecting recipes that are sort of dying and being forgotten. He's an incredible guy. I think he's done a book recently. Um, anyway, kebab with loads and loads and loads of bright green beef, hand-chopped, always hand-chopped, pistachios through it, so it's green. And then he grills them over wood, and he probably grill a bit of fruit as well, so like some peaches or some sour cherries or something like that, and then some chilli and maybe some yoghurt and 
I mean, that kebab shop is amazing. Quality. We've uh, got we've got fur hat from Mangal Two coming on in a couple of weeks. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Twitter's the worst. Week. Twitter is a worse place without him, isn't no, it? No, he's come back. He's back on Twitter as himself. Oh, I don't. I think he's. I'll. I'll, I'll I'll link, do some linkage. Um, okay, and the other part of the quiz is the overrated, underrated, correctly rated, of which we've already done Cacio y Pepe. Um, overrated, underrated, correctly rated, being tall. Overrated, yeah. I think. It's not that good being It's tall. like when you're a kid, you'd be psyched to be tall, wouldn't you? I was always ple- I was always the tallest in my class, and I was always happy about that. Not that good to be tall, really. No. Quite hard to buy clothes. Get a bad back. People point it out all the time. People point it out. It's like one of you your identifying. On people ask you about yeah. it. <laughs> but it's one, you know, it's one of your identifying things. Yeah. And actually, it's generally it's not okay for things about the way you look to, you know, you don't normally think it's okay for that to be part yeah. of your identity. You know, you oh, it, and you're also extremely fat. Yeah, sure, you know, sure, that's, sure. That's you. <laughs> Sam's actually lost some weight, so. Uh, pastry lamination overrated underrated or correctly rated I think it's correctly rated yeah people love that stuff people love it and so do I can't do it maybe that's why right not, that's not my kind of way of cooking it's just like folding though isn't it <laughs> um yes skilled folding I mean so what, what else <laughs> is like folding. just like folding maybe it's like tailoring no it's not it is folding yeah but it's hard to get it right Oh, I remember, yeah, yeah, I remember really doing, really doing puff pastry at Ballymaloo and being like, you put, what the fuck, yeah. You then add a whole block of butter at this point? Yeah, amazing. Amazing, but, isn't it? Yeah. It is incredible, yeah. And the techers, it is techers. Oh, it's huge techers, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not asking that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> God, no. uh, overrated, underrated, quickly rated. The final question, Italian soups, the soups of Italy. You see, I think they're, not very highly rated, and I love them. So I love so underrated. Like underrated, I think. But if you tell me that, I'm not. I'm sometimes. I'm not sure how. When I listen to this, I sometimes think, well, how is that rated? How do we know yeah. the rating? Anyway, I love them. I Those do. thick room temperature weird ribolita. Yeah, potato and bread and I made pasta a ribolita at the weekend. It was delicious. I love it. And right. actually, at River Cafe, it was quite an honour to be the person making the soup. Oh, right. That was like Big that soup. was high praise from the head chef on your job list, where Theo had always maybe bought spinach. Was if you got soup, you'd be like that. They're giving you soup because they think you're a really good cook. I made a lot, made made a lot, lot of soup. I nice. will say one thing for Italian soups. Name me another world soup. Uh, how am I going to phrase this? Basically, what you're trying to say that's not soup. No, 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 no. That's not. what used to happen to me at Dog Kitchen. Oh. So they'd be like, "That's not a soup. It's vegetables on a plate." No, fuck those guys. But um, there's no other world cuisine that has soups that it's basically essential that you finish them with olive oil, ideally parmesan. But they, a slick of olive oil on pretty much any Italian soup is necessary to really just lift it to the next level. That's not really a criticism. It's an observation. What, you're asking for another cuisine that has olive oil in their soup? Or just like a finishing... like. Well, if you have the noodle soup... And you don't have chili oil, the yeah. tray of no, the whole tray the of whole stuff you put yeah, with it. Yeah. The herb, you know, you've got to like that. You've got to yeah. make your own soup. Yeah, but olive oil is it a condiment in that instance? I suppose it is. I don't know. Like Rosie makes a lot of lovely Italian soups at home, 
And but you turn I mean, your I like, nose up I like at, big, Italian soups. No, I turn my nose up at Ribolita. What's wrong with Ribolita? It's just a bit gummy. Gummy. It shouldn't it's, be. It's gu- too much stodge. Or is it just badly made? There you go. There's no such thing as bad soup. It's just yeah. bad cooks. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll try and make one. It's my favourite thing. Ribolita. It's been, you know, when the... This sounds very, like, 90s romantic, romanticising Italy. When the olive oil is just pressed, it's, like, fairy liquid green and spicy as anything, that's when you make Ribolita. Right. And what's, what's some more techers for a, for a Stephen Paul Ribolita? With like loads of Italian food, sofrito. Mm-hmm. So the base you start with, you've got to cook it for absolutely ages. Put some celery in there, in your sofrito? Yeah, celery, onion, sometimes carrot. But if you put... Carrot makes things look like sick. Uh, if you put carrot in the celery can stuff. make it bitter. No, it's okay with bitter. Yeah, right. Anyway, I probably would put a bit of carrot. Cook it for ages and ages and ages. Cavolo Nero that has been boiled for a long time. And how, how long is ages and ages? An hour? Longer? Sofrito, probably an hour, yeah. yeah. Depends how big your batch is yeah. and the size of your pan and all that. So you're pre-boiling the Cavallo Nero before you put yeah, it in? Yeah, pre-boiling the Cavallo Nero. Right. Keeping some of that cooking water. Beans, you want either bolotti or cannellini, but you want really want to have bought like a posh one from Italian deli, like the bolotti limon, which is where they grow the best beans, that sort in of thing. In a jar? Fresh? No, really. If you want to make the really good one. No, not fresh, yeah. because the time Wrong of year, time you're year not, yeah, yeah. you've got a bit of a problem. No, really good dried ones that you've soaked and cooked carefully. Oh, but you got to... They say soak overnight. It's bullshit. you got to soak for, like, four years. I don't know anyone who's ever cooked a dried bean. I did one the other day. It soaked for 36 hours. I can't remember what the bean was now. Possibly you over-soaked. Is that a thing? Yeah, I think so. And it didn't cook? Yeah, the skin stayed hard, did they? Yeah, but they were basically... Something like... weird happens when you over-soak, oh. as well as under-soak. They are hard to cook dried beans. That's great to know. You want some of them to be whole, you want some of them to be mushed, you want the cavolo nero to be finely chopped, then you want to have the right kind of bread, it needs to be stale, it needs to be quite an open bread. If you use a bread that isn't stale, something gummy happens, mm. I don't know why, so sometimes it's dry out in the oven. Then you lay that over this, and then a little bit, I like to put a little bit of tomato, posh tomato from a jar, not cooked into the sofrito, after, in small pieces, so that you can sometimes, when you're spoon, you, know, you have a spoon that has a little bit of, t- not raw, but just a little bit of tomato that isn't throughout. What's, what's the most posh tomato jar operation? Petrilli. All of the ones in a jar, okay. I think, are quite posh normally. Because they're not in that gummy... You know when you get a tin of tomatoes, they're in that disgusting thick stuff. Yeah. Actually, if you wash those tomatoes, you end up with something that's quite nice, but you don't have very many of them. I always wash them. But I wrote that in the newspaper once. I got a lot of... It's a very wasteful thing to do, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh. got a lot of complaints about that. And that's the move. And, and, then, you, and then you put the bread over the top... And then you pour some of the Cavoli Nero water back in to moisten the bread. Yeah. And then you don't want lumps of bread, really. I like to break the bread. So I let it sit and then I break it. So you get something that's smooth and you've got to get the right thickness. And you've got to look at it and think and eat and taste. Mix some olive oil in as well as putting it on top. And you've got to have that, like, brightest green spicy oil. Costs a lot of money, that So oil. don't get the cheap Bertoli stuff. Get the... No. Couple, no, a couple no, of the primo, James. <laughs> yeah, your one sounds nice than the one I made last weekend. Although it was nice, and my wife did make an amazing focaccia, which uh, is from. Oh yeah, the, I saw that on her uh, Instagram. That what, recipe, what the salt, s- salty, which is a sandwich shop in uh, Brooklyn that is now what sadly closed. Uh, what you it home? I took it home, hence why she did the recipe. Uh, it's the most easy peasy but unbelievable recipe for focaccia. It was delicious. Props to my wife. 
but yeah. props to your soup recipe. I think that's the first time we've had a recipe. Yeah, on that's the good. Pod. Yeah, it probably is actually. So tell people they've got to listen to the end for. Don't skip. <laughs> um, Stevie, thank you so much for coming on the no, pod. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Stevie. Thanks uh, see much. you next week with Furhat Dirick from Mangal 2. Bye. Goodbye. Oh, goodbye.